this morning. Our aim is going to be verse 14 through 29. And we're coming really to the end of the epistle. We got here to the end of chapter 15. There's a few verses at the end of 15. Lord willing, we'll look at next week. And then chapter 16, there's a bunch of greetings and then some, some, some final words. And as we're winding and closing out the epistle, we saw last week some closing exhortations to bear with one another, the strong to bear with the infirmities of the weak for each of us to please our neighbor. And the example that Paul pointed to was the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord came to, again, please the Father and minister to others. And then at verse 13, we saw a glorious prayer. And all this was really wrapped together, a lot of of encouragements when it comes to joy and hope and peace and so forth, comfort and patience. And we're going to come back to this prayer and start with it today. And I think it's worthy of being talked about twice. Where there in Romans 15, 13, Paul said, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing, and that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So we'll come back to that this morning briefly. And then we're going to springboard off of that. And we're going to see as Paul again, is winding down the epistle. He goes into a series of encouragements, some explanations, some exhortations, a few reminders, praise reports, and he lays out some of his plans. And in all of it, he gives the phrase, reasons to glory in Christ Jesus. And we have so many reasons to glory in Christ Jesus and he was glorying and sharing these things of just the gospel. He mentions the gospel four times in this passage of just the power of the gospel. And you know what? Many who had come to the Lord and, and now the offerings and sacrifices that they would bring to God would be acceptable through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So uh, let's read verse 14 through 21 together. Again, our aim will be to get to verse 29, and so we'll be taking a verse or two at a time, and hopefully, you know what, kind of going swiftly through this, and yet in a way where we really get blessed and minister to today, because there's, there's a lot of glorious things here in a passage that's, you know, so, sometimes these types of passages here, they, they're, it's easy to get lost in the wash. It's, it's a passage that, you know, pastors that teach topically aren't going to probably come to but it's the glorious thing of going verse by verse through the bible you know what book by book chapter by chapter verse by verse yeah a lot of times get into these kind of nooks and crannies of the scripture and boy there's just glorious things i always say there's gold in them there are hills you just got to go in and mine it out and so we're going to get some of that gold here today so paul says now i myself am confident concerning you my brethren that you are also full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able to admonish one another. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written more boldly to you on some points as reminding you because of the grace of God, of the grace given to me of God, that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I have reason to glory in Christ Jesus, and the things which pertain to God. For I will not dare speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me and word and deed to make the Gentiles obedient. And mighty signs and wonders by the power, <coughs> excuse me, of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and round about to Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. And so I have made it my aim to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build on another man's foundation, but as it is written to him, he would, to, to whom he was not announced, they shall see, and those who have not heard shall understand. So again, in the verse right before this, Paul prays that prayer for them. I'll go ahead and read it again, Romans 15, 13. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Talk about a phenomenal prayer. So phenomenal, Mike. I, I, I want to round about to it before we really start into verse 14. I believe this is a prayer that we should be continually offering up to the Lord 
for others as well as ourself. It's okay to pray for yourself, just so you know. Now, we don't want just all the focus on ourselves, but absolutely, we'll even see, Lord willing, next week, Paul asking for prayer concerning himself and ministry. So it's something we want to pray for one another. We want to bring our lives before the Lord as well and lift our burdens and our needs and pray these biblical prayers before the Lord. And again, he's praying for joy and he's praying for for hope and for peace. And really think about that. Those things are really essential for victorious living in the Lord Jesus Christ as well as living a good life. I mean, show me a Christian that doesn't have the joy of the Lord. I'll show you a defeated Christian, at least in that season. Show me a Christian that has lost their hope or they're not walking in that peace that the Lord has given to them. You're gonna see someone struggling and floundering. And listen, we've all been there before. The Lord wants us to abound in these things. Listen, we have victory in the Lord Jesus Christ. Is he your Lord today? Can you say amen to that? then listen, these things have been given to us. Look at in Christ, these things have more value than all the treasures of the world. Look at the world goes and seeks after those things, joy and peace and hope and all these things that are temporary, these things reserved for fire. But we have these things in the Lord. This is part of our spiritual portfolio. And the Lord wants us to be abounding in these things and paul's making a point to pray that they would be found abounding in them we need to know in these things as well though we're in a spiritual war and have you noticed there's times when you have more joy than other times more peace more hope that that can be from struggles in our own walk you know a drifting walk not spending time with the lord as we should but hear this we're also in a great spiritual battle. And Satan wants to come and steal those things. He wants to steal your joy. He wants to steal your peace. He wants to steal your hope. He's a thief. Jesus said in John 10, 10 concerning him, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and destroy. Now listen, but is not here, but I'm gonna put but in here. But, exclamation point. I have come that they may have life and may have it more abundantly. And life comes when we put faith in Christ, our sins forgiven, wash, our names scribed there in the Lamb's book of life. And now the Lord has an abundant life for us to walk in. And part of that abundance of life is found walking in the joy of the Lord, in the peace of God, and in the hope we have in the Lord, no matter what's going on around us. Whether we're on the top of the mountain or the bottom of the valley, these things belong to us. And the Lord wants to see us abounding in these things. So Paul's praying for that. And listen, he's praying according to the will of God. This is a in Jesus' name prayer, if there ever was one. This is something, again, the Holy Spirit's moving on him to pen. So this is a prayer for us from the heart of the Lord. But notice again how he prays it, because there's, there's some keys in this. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. Notice, in believing that you may abound in hope. Notice, by the power of the Holy Spirit. So we see three things here that are so essential. He's praying, and then he's also praying that they would abound in believing or they would abound in faith. Not just faith in anything. I get so annoyed when people say, oh, the faith community. Listen, everyone has faith. All you guys sitting on that chair right now, you're exercising faith. You believe that chair is going to hold you up, you know? He's talking about faith here in God. He's talking about faith in the words of God. I'll tell you, when we put faith in the word of God, and we need to be getting God's word in our heart. In fact, when you get God's word in your heart, you know what it does. Faith comes by hearing and hearing what? The word of God, it builds your faith. I'll tell you, when you rest and trust in God's word, you believe in God's word, it brings joy, it brings peace, and it brings hope. We touched on it last week. I won't read it all, but in John 14, 1, the Lord said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And then he brings reasons why our heart shouldn't be troubled. He goes, I'm going away, but I'm going to prepare a place for you. 
I'm preparing mansions for you that where I am, you'll be. I'm going to come back for you. And then Thomas is like, we don't know where you're going and we don't know the way. I guess he hadn't been listening. And Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And beautifully, all are welcome to come to Jesus Christ to have relationship with the Father. Is he your Lord today? If he's not, call on him today. How about this one, 2 Corinthians 1.20? For all the promises of God in him are yes, and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. If you've called on Christ, you're in God. You're in Christ. And his promises to us are yes and amen. I'll tell you, when we stand in the promises of God, we stand in the word of God, we put faith in the scripture, it brings joy, peace, and hope. So oftentimes when believers are in the places being robbed of that, they're either not in that, you know what, spending that time in prayer with the Lord, or they're not standing in the truth of scripture. And then notice again what he says, and then we'll move in here into verse 14. He says that you abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. We closed talking about this last week. We need to be walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. You were sealed with the Spirit of God when you got saved. And Jesus talks about, and the scriptures talked about, and we see so many pictures of the power of the Holy Spirit enacted in the life of the believer. The Lord said in Luke eleven thirteen, if you being evil know to how, how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And there he's talking about that empowerment, that power of the Holy Spirit. So it's not just me just praying and it's not me just in the word, but there's a supernatural work in my life via the spirit of God pouring out into my life that out of my life's flowing torrents of living water that includes joy that includes peace that includes hope now listen we talked about that last week let me ask you this past week did you ask the lord for that baptism or that filling of the spirit of god it's not a one and done it's a continual thing lord fill me up fill me afresh meet me where i'm at because let's face it we can quench the spirit of god and it's so easy to begin to thirst for other things that don't satisfy. We touched on this again last week, 1 Thessalonians 5.19. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Test all things. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. And so we want to be a people testing things by what? By what? By the word of God. And then cleaving to what is good and abstaining from these things. Listen, that the scripture calls evil. And there's a lot of things the scripture calls evil, that there's a lot of encouragement today in Christendom that we're to cleave to those things. No, God's word is our standard and it hasn't changed for any generation. And I'll tell you, those words that come forth that show us good and evil, those things are for our benefit, not for our demise, but for our blessing. Can we say amen to that today? And so he prays that prayer. Then Paul says, now I myself am confident concerning you, brethren, that you're full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to admonish one another. So he says, I'm praying for you that you're gonna abound in joy and peace and hope, but I'm also confident that you're full of goodness. The word goodness there really means virtue. It means behaving or showing a high moral standard in your life. And so how can Paul be confident in that concerning these people? Look at his confidence wasn't necessarily them, but it was the Lord in them. The fact they had come to Christ, the fact they professed Jesus, the fact that, again, they weren't just a people that were saying, Jesus is my Savior. They're like, no, he's my Lord, and I follow him, and I worship him, and I have a relationship with him. And he's writing to this body of believers that communed together and sought the Lord together, and Paul knew that. So he says, listen, they're in the Lord, so I'm confident. I'm confident that there's goodness in their life. And there's a knowledge that, again, was first introduced that brought them to Christ. And they have God's word. So his confidence was in the Lord. Look at ultimately, yes, we, we got a call to minister to one another. I got a call to minister to you as your pastor. But I don't put my confidence in me that you'll grow in the Lord. 
That, that, that's a bad place to put your confidence. I got some gifts God's given me and I want to exercise them and use them by God's grace. Pray for me that I can do that well. But my confidence for you and in you is because you're in the Lord. <laughs> and boy, that's so much better than having confidence in anything else. Look, at put your confidence in the Lord. You're raising your kids in the Lord. Put the emphasis on the Lord, not, not your children. <laughs> put the emphasis on the Lord in our fellowship and even in your own life, in your own ministries. Put your confidence in the Lord, not in yourself. We should be a humble people. I don't want to put confidence in myself, but my confidence is in the Lord. The Lord's going to get the job done. And when the Lord's called me to be his hands, to be his feet, I'm ready to be used by the Lord. And our confidence is in him. Notice what Paul wrote to those in Thessalonica, 2 Thessalonians 3, 3. But the Lord is faithful, who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. Isn't that awesome? And we have confidence in the Lord concerning you that both you do and will do the things we command you Paul knew real Christians have real virtue through abiding in the Lord through the work of the Lord in their life so look at that's why it's such a key to be continually pointing one another to who to the Lord to the word of God to our prayer closets to worshiping the Lord to the work of the Spirit of God in our lives. I'll tell you, you do that, God will do a mighty work. God is always faithful on his end. Paul also here is acknowledging, look at, that he's not the only one with knowledge. He's teaching them. He's writing, written quite an epistle to them, but he encourages them. He goes, I know you're filled with knowledge, and I know as well you're able to admonish one another. We never want to fall into the place that we think we're the only one that knows anything and we know everything. That's a place of pride. That's a place where we are very short-sighted. And that's where we get into a place where we're not teachable. It's not a good place to be. I'm in a, you know what? I always strive to want to be learning, want to be learning more. You know, I've several of these books of the Bible. I've talked to three, four, some five times. It's our fifth time, my fifth time through revelation and every time i'm like i want to learn more i want to dig in deeper you know what i i i want to look into these matters more i haven't read this commentary before let me check it out on my vacation people are like oh someone asked me today oh what'd you do how was it? i'm like i read a book <laughs> i read a great book and i learned so much so much from it i might talk about it later on you know, in, in down the road or something. But we want to be in that place. And look, at I'm not saying I'm perfect in that. There's been plenty of times we're like, oh, I know more than anyone else. Not a good place to be. We want to, again, know that others know things as well. Look, at we want to test all those things by the scripture. And Paul says, I know you're filled with knowledge, but what, do, what good does knowledge do if you just keep it to yourself? A lot of people, I know, what are you doing with that? What are you doing with what you know? He says, use it to admonish one another. Use it to teach one another. Again, it goes back to others. It goes back to let not love be with hypocrisy, which Paul threw out a few chapters ago, which is really kind of an umbrella over the end of this. Verse 15, he says, nevertheless, brethren, I have written more boldly to you on some points as reminding you because of the grace of God given to me. So Paul says, I know you have knowledge and I know you're able to teach and admonish one another, but nevertheless, or in other words, but that doesn't mean that I'm not supposed to be faithful to my call to teach you and to remind you of things. We need reminders. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed that the Bible is full of reminders? There are certain things we get reminded of from Genesis all the way to Revelation. And we need those reminders because sometimes we lose sight. Sometimes we forget. Sometimes we're not acting on what we've learned. Sometimes we just need to have those things set in stone before us, those continual reminders we need to remind one another of who we are on the lord the promises of god god's goodness and we also need to remind ourselves look at the preacher you're going to hear more than anyone else in your lifetime i've shared this many times it's not pastor steve it's yourself 
Again, let's remind one another of the things of God. Let's remind ourselves. I won't read it, but in 2 Peter 1, Peter verse 12 through 15, he uses the word reminder three times. I won't neglect to remind you. And he says, I'm reminding you to stir you up. And we need to remind one another to stir one another up. Listen, it's one of the reasons why even coming together is so important. It's so important that we come together for fellowship, that we share life with one another, not just to hang out and have friends, but to minister to one another. We, we can't do that at, at home. There's a calling for us to come and gather together. Again, Hebrews 10, 24, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. So Paul was writing them to stir them up to love and good works. And absolutely, let's do that with one another. And he talks about not forsaking coming together as some do, but all the more get together, remind one another as the day of the Lord's approaching. I don't know about you guys, but I feel like I need more of those reminders now than ever because the world's just getting darker and darker. I'll talk to some people on a Sunday and you know, they've just been beat up all week by the world, by the enemy, wrestling with their flesh. And we'll just sit down or maybe in the week I'll meet with someone. Uh, and, and sometimes it's people doing this for me, just, just reminding one another, but wait a minute, God's on the throne. But, but wait a minute, look at these things are unfolding as the Lord said they would unfold. But, but let me remind you, brother, we got a prayer closet. We can pray right now, reminding one another of these things. And so Paul goes, I know you know, but I got a call to remind you. And he says, I, in, in, in these things, I've, I've written more boldly on some points. So in other words, there's some things you need to be reminded of more than other things. He moves to the Gentiles here in the next verse. We'll get to that. But we know from this book that Paul was bold in reminding them concerning natural Israel as well as the Gentiles. And I throw that out because he is going to the Gentiles next, really reminding them that the Lord came not just to save the Jew, but to save the Gentile. So he was reminding the Jew of that, or he was, and he was reminding the Gentile of the fact that natural Israel will all be saved one day. That God's not done with natural Israel. There's spiritual Israel. That's all that are in Christ. We are part of spiritual Israel. But he reminds them boldly. Take chapter 9, 10, 11 to go into great detail. It is a phenomenal discourse of eschatology and the faithfulness of God and God's heart and love for natural Israel. He tells them all Israel will be saved. He tells them don't be ignorant concerning these things. And then absolutely as well. Again, verse 16, he says, that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offerings of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. He says, I've been bold concerning the Gentiles and the ministry to the Gentiles. I, I won't read it today, but in chapter 15, 8 through 12, we looked at it last week, where again, he was bold telling them, yes, Lord came to minister to the circumcision to bring forth the truth promised to the fathers, which was what? He promised Israel, the Savior of the world will come through you. And indeed, the Savior of the world came through Israel. But then he's bold to remind them that that wasn't just for you. That was for the Gentiles as well. And in those verses, he used the word Gentile, one, two, three, four, five, six times. That the Gentile would be saved, that the Gentile would worship God, that the Gentile would praise God. We looked at that word last week, laud, that they would clap to God, they would give praise to God, that they would have that Savior who came through the root of Jesse, he's saying, just as you Jewish believers have. You know, it's interesting about this, there's many Jews and Gentiles that find what Paul's talking about and what Paul's being bold about offensive, Jews that are offense, they're offended by the idea of a Gentile being saved. And even so many Gentile believers today that are in complete ignorance, that are unlearned concerning the scriptures, that they're offended at the idea that God loves natural Israel and all natural Israel will be saved. And I love the fact that Paul doesn't shrink back in his boldness. He doesn't say, well, he knows some stuff, so I'm not going to be bold. 
No, he says, yeah, you know some stuff, but I'm called to be bold and to remind you of the truth. Because of what, if what you know isn't truth, that's problematic. And so he brings these reminders to them. Indeed, Paul speaking to please God, not men. And listen, Paul's boldness to the Gentiles was in part because of God's calling on him specifically to go to the Gentiles and the Jews. But we read back there in Acts 9 when the, Paul was blinded on that road to Damascus. He goes to a home where he would be met by a man named Ananias, who when he heard it was Saul that got saved, he was like, I don't, I, Lord, I don't want to go. This guy kills Christians. And the Lord says, well, wait a minute. You need to go. And he says to him in Acts 9, 15, he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles. And then he says, kings and the children of Israel. And so Paul's acknowledging the boldness that I've written to you. And again, the context specifically here is the Gentiles as we read ahead and we'll get into. It's because of the grace of God given to me. And part of that grace was the salvation and the call on his life. And we need that grace in our lives. I need the grace of God to do what God's called me to do. You need the grace of God. And here's the thing, though. God's generous with grace. God wants to pour it out. God wants us to abound in it. Again, grace saves us, but grace is unmerited favor from God. And it's a divine influence to help us to abound in the Lord. That call on Paul was brought with grace, a divine influence. Paul, I'm going to give you what you need to minister to these Gentiles, to persevere in persecution, to be steadfast. It came from the grace of God. Whatever God's called you to do, he wants to give you the grace to empower you to do it. So again, verse 16, he said, because of grace of God given to me that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Listen, hear this this morning. It's only through accepting Jesus Christ through the gospel of God, Christ crucified and raised from the dead, salvation by grace alone, through faith alone and him alone, that makes any offerings that we bring to God acceptable. To be sanctified, it means to make it holy. God does not accept what is not holy. It's only through faith in the Lord that our offerings become holy and acceptable to God because they've been sanctified or made holy by the Holy Spirit. Notice, 1 Peter 2, 5, it says to offer up sacrifices acceptable to God through who? Through Jesus Christ. Look at outside of Jesus Christ, prayers are null and void. Any, you know, and it, it's, it's not that God's not working in the life of an unbeliever and hearing what they're saying. And God knows a sincere unbeliever seeking truth versus someone who shunned the Lord but they want to act like, well, I'm spiritual though. Bro, none of those spiritual offerings are accepted by God until you fall on your face and ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. And that's what Paul's conveying to them. I brought the gospel to the Gentiles that the Gentiles would know the Lord and the Gentiles could worship God and God would receive that worship because they became partakers of the Holy Spirit. So we gotta be in Christ. Before we come to him, we were without God, without hope in the world. Ephesians 2.12. The scripture says in Romans 8.9, if, no, if you do not have the spirit of Christ, uh, he's not his. And how do we receive the Holy Spirit? When we call on the Lord. We get sealed with the spirit of God. We read that in Ephesians 1.13. We have relationship with God and now our worship is accepted by God. It's beautiful. We get saved and then we have this high call to live a life of sacrifice unto God. Because remember, again, in, in earlier in the book, Paul talks about, you know, presenting our bodies a living sacrifice. And really in the ministry, Paul, he talks about being poured out as a sacrifice. And it's such a privilege we have 
not just to get saved. Getting saved is glorious. It's the greatest gift in the world to have a relationship with God. But that's not just to be put in the corner or sat on. I got a relationship with God. Now I have the call, the high call, to be a worshiper of God. And my worship's received by God because my sins have been washed and I have the spirit of God now abiding in me that makes that praise and worship acceptable to the Lord. And listen, before that, it was just aimless conduct. It's just puttering around the earth for 70 years. And so Paul's rejoicing in the privilege to take the gospel to these people. Notice verse 17, he says, Therefore I have reason to glory in Christ Jesus and the things which pertain to God, for I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me, and word indeed to make the Gentiles obedient. It's interesting with Paul, so many people tried to shame Paul. So many Jews, non-believing Jews, and even some believing Jews, they tried to shame Paul because of his special ministry to the Gentiles. It was almost like, why are you messing with those Gentiles? And look at many a Jew for many a century had said, look at the Gentiles, they're only created as firewood for hell. There was a lot of prejudice. There were a lot of ethnic issues, so to speak. There was a lot of worse things. And so when Paul's going to the Gentiles, when Paul's going really to the ends of the earth as they knew it to get the gospel to the Gentiles, many people shamed him. Again, why are you going to these unimportant people? Then others shame, you're taking a false gospel. They got to become Jews first. But we've gotten into great details in Acts and Romans how, no, we come to Christ. We come to Christ to get saved. And Paul's response to this basically is, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of God. And I'm going to glory in the gospel of God. I'm going to glory in the things in my life that have been accomplished because of the Lord. I don't dare boast of myself when I won't do that. But he's saying, I'm going to boast in what God's doing in and through my life to the glory of God. And I'm not ashamed of it. I'm going to preach it. I'm going to proclaim it again. And it made sense because he was living a life to the glory of God for the benefit of others, really, again, for eternal rewards, not temporary ones. We've been called to do the same thing. Now, notice in verse 19, he talks about some of these glorious things happening with the Gentiles. In mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and round about to Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel. And so he's glorying in God that God gave him opportunity to preach the gospel really everywhere that he went. And hear this, everywhere he went, he preached the same gospel. He absolutely preached that we are sinners, that Christ died for our sins, that Jesus resurrected from the grave and defeated the wages of sin death, and that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's the gospel. That is the gospel. The totality of the gospel is that. Again, bad news, we are sinners condemned to hell. The good news, Christ lived a sinless life, died for our sins, rose from the grave, and whoever would call on his name to be saved, the Lord will save them. They're asking Jesus to be the Lord of their life. It's 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 the... It's the only free gift that will cost you your life because you're saying, I'm not Lord anymore, be my Lord. And indeed, it's a free gift, but it costs you your life. But I'll tell you, you gain everlasting life and you gain abundant life in the Lord Jesus Christ. And everywhere he went, he preached that gospel. He preached that gospel in Jerusalem. He preached that gospel in Illyricum, everywhere he went. And it was the same gospel, People ask me sometimes, you know, how do I share the gospel with an atheist? Or how do I share the gospel with a, with a gangster or, you know, a, a, a sexual deviant or just some guy on the bus? How do I do it? Oh, special, special case over here. How do I share the gospel with them? You share the gospel. <laughs> We're sinners. We're damned to hell. But Christ came according to the scriptures. Lived a sinless life 
died on the cross to pay the penalty of your sin, my sin, the sin of the world. He paid the debt and he rose again from the dead. He defeated those things. And if you humble your heart, ask the Lord to forgive you. You repent, which means I'm turning from faith and whatever to the Lord. He'll save you. There's power in the gospel. In this passage we're looking at this morning, four times Paul mentions the gospel. And I tell you, when he brought the gospel to these Gentiles, it says that it was accompanied by signs of wonders and the power of the Spirit of God. I see this in three ways in the scripture. Number one, when he preached, it wasn't just like, hey guys, you know, can I tell you about something? He preached with some power. And look, at you might see it like that and have some power in it. Maybe that's how you get, then everyone's listening. I don't know. But I, I just say that kind of as a practical illustration. He came with prophetic power. Look at in Acts 1, 8, the Lord said the Holy Spirit will come upon you for what? Why will that power come? So you know what? It could be a show every Sunday. No. So that you would be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. We pray for the power of the Holy Spirit in part to witness boldly to a world that needs Jesus Christ. And Paul had that boldness. There in Corinth, he says there in 1 Corinthians 2, 4, my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and power. Look at, he brought the gospel and he brought it with prophetic unction. I'm gonna tell you guys, when I come in this pulpit, I always pray, Lord, give me prophetic utterance. When I share the gospel, I'm praying for one of three results. Well, I'm not praying for them, but look at, there's gotta be some results. I'm praying that the unsaved will get saved. I'm praying that at the minimum, they'll get woke up, that we'll be woke up, and listen, I'm also, I'm, I'm also, you know what, I'm, I'm not aiming for this, but if it happens, it's better than someone just sitting there going, uh, well, it's for lunch. Then, then be offended then. Because when the gospel's prophetically preached, look at people get saved, people get woke up, or people get offended. But they're gonna know they hear the prophetic word of God. So he brought the prophetic word of God. I mean, these guys were accused of turning the world upside down. And what was their message? Jesus died for your sins. Look at this was also a power demonstrated in their lives, in their fruit, in their love, in their behavior. It's amazing how many times Paul talks about him and those with them and their behavior with the Gentiles, how they didn't take advantage of them. They didn't lord over them. Look at, they, they made their own way. They loved them while they were there. First Thessalonians 2, it speaks a lot about this, but in verse 8, he says, so affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but hear this, but our own lives because you had become dear to us. And then in verse 10, he says, you are witnesses and God also how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe. That's powerful. That's a powerful thing. And then absolutely, Acts and other places talk about miracles and healings. And there were an abundance of them where they go into these pagan places and people would be healed. At some point, they would start worshiping Paul and he says, wait a minute, wait a minute, worship God. Or they're in Acts 19, they come in and it says unusual miracles were happening. People were getting delivered from evil spirits. There were miracles. It says there were some Jewish exorcists. They didn't know the Lord. And they said, we'll cast out demons. And they came to a man demon possessed. And they're like, this Jesus who Paul preaches in his name come out. And the demon possessed man beat up like seven of them. You think they'd get saved from that? But it's interesting. It says the word of this came known to the Jews and the Greeks there in Ephesus. It says the, the fear of God fell on them and they glorified God. And there was a great revival they went and they burned their book that they used for magic look at it was a move of god because the fruit was revival 
The fruit was lives built up. The fruit was people legitimately come to Jesus. It wasn't just a prayer. It wasn't just, well, that night. No, the next morning they got up and they said, we're gonna burn these books. And look, at we welcome that move of God, but we want it to be a move of God, not something manufactured by men. We always seek after Jesus. And if you do that, the signs and wonders will follow according to Jesus. If you're a sign seeker, a miracle chaser, that's own biblical we seek him first. And because Paul was seeking him first, those things accompanied the ministry as they were supposed to, according to God's timing and his perfect ordination of those things. Verse 20, he says, and so I made up my aim to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build on another man's foundation, but as it is written, to whom he was not announced, they shall see, and those who have not heard shall understand. So Paul says, me going out to the Gentiles, it it was because I was aiming to get the gospel out where it hadn't heard before. Look at the gospel had spread through Jerusalem and Judea by the time Paul got saved. Paul called, God called to the Gentiles. And so he said, I'm gonna make it my aim to get it out. I'm gonna go out into these dark places where there's people who never heard. And it was fulfillment of Isaiah 52, 15, Isaiah 65, 1, that the gospel would go, that those who hadn't heard would hear and that they would receive. Look, at we should make it our aim to do the same thing, to get the gospel out to people who haven't heard it. And there was a time I don't want to say 10 years ago, maybe 10 years ago. I would say probably 20, 30 years ago, for sure, where most people in our country had heard the gospel. I want to preach the gospel where it hasn't been heard. Well, okay, we're going to get you on a boat and ship you off to who knows where. That's not the case anymore. There are so many people in our backyard who have not heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. They've heard about Jesus. Some haven't even heard about him. Or if they heard of him, they just associate his name with some sort of slander or cuss word. There are so many people that haven't truly heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's kind of good news. We got an opportunity to be those beautiful feet, to take the gospel to those folks. Remember how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news? I see the bad news that it's in part because there's so many churches that don't preach the gospel. They've walked away from it. How sad and tragic is that? This is the good news. Look at, well, let's ask the Lord to stir our hearts to give us opportunity to get the good news out, to get it out. People are hungry. Let me tell you this week, I was talking to someone, I ran into someone, I was talking to them about the Lord, I hadn't seen them in a while. And two men were there and all of a sudden they're like, hey, are you a, are you a pastor? And I'm like, yeah. And the guy's like, man, I I wish I was bold enough to talk like that. And what it came down to is these were two young men thirsting for the Lord. And they they were just standing there serving at a place. And it opened up conversation with them to talk to them about the Lord, to invite them to fellowship and so forth. Let me tell you, people are hungry. People are hungry for the truth. Let's get it out there. And so Paul says, I made it my aim to get it out where it had to be named. And he also made it aim not to build on another man's foundation. He went and planted these churches where there weren't churches. He didn't want to go and steal from another work that was already be done in the name of the Lord. That's what the flesh does. The flesh says, let me go where, you know what, it seems a little easier, where there's quicker gratification I'll just say with all that, beware, because what you sow in the flesh, you'll reap in the flesh. <laughs> it always works that way. It's so important when works of the Lord are planted, it's being led by the Spirit of God with an aim to get the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ out. He blesses that. This Wednesday night, I'm gonna come back to this a bit because it kind of goes along with what we've been talking about, how everything here is preserved for fire. There's a new heaven and new earth. And it's interesting. Paul's talking about being careful where you build, but in this, there's also a call to be careful of how we build because our lives and what we built will be brought through a fire. And what's done in the Lord will have eternal value and eternal reward. Those things though done unto self, done in the flesh, 
they're going to burn away. And that might not seem like a big deal today, but boy, it's going to be a big deal on that day. It absolutely is. So we'll circle back around to that. I want to make it my aim here in the last, in, in the last you know, 10 minutes or so to finish this out because I think we can. He says in verse 22, for this reason, I've also been much hindered from coming to you, but now no longer having a place in these parts and having great desire these many years to come to you. Whenever I journey to Spain, I shall come to you for I hope to see you on my journey and to be helped on my way there by you. At first, I may enjoy your company for a while. So Paul says, look at, I've wanted to come to you, but I haven't come because it's work to the Gentiles. Look at, be encouraged in that. There's only so much you can do. Sometimes people come on and they think it's their, their call to change the whole world or I take all this stuff on. Just do what God's called you to do. Paul's doing what God calls him to do. He said, I've wanted to come. I've been hindered by what? By what I'm supposed to be doing. Look, at, if you're hindered by doing what you're supposed to be doing, that's fine. Now, if you're just sitting there doing nothing, get up and do something. But he can only do so much. And then he says, listen, when I, I, I wanna come see you and I got a plan to go to Spain and then I'm gonna see you. We can learn from this. Paul would see them, but it wouldn't be going through Spain. In his secondary, he talks about going to Jerusalem with a gift and he'd go up to Jerusalem with that gift. He'd end up getting arrested. And then he'd have to plead to Caesar to go through the Roman uh, court system to get a fair trial. And so he would end up in Rome, but not through Spain. Now he does say, I hope in this. So I do think there's an acknowledgement of the Lord. I'm hoping for this. And we know his hope was in the Lord. But here, let's learn from this. Let's make sure that when we're laying out plans, I'll tell you a glorious thing to do is to say the Lord willing. (laughs) The Lord willing. I'll tell you, even get that habit of saying the Lord willing. You'll be amazed at how many doors that opens up to share Jesus with people. Hey, can you come next week and do this? We want a schedule. Yeah, I'm gonna come. I got you on my schedule. The Lord willing, I'll be here. What? The Lord willing. There's little things you can drop all the time. I probably need to do a whole message on that. Fishing for Jesus. You know, how do we do that? Little fishing rods, you know, all over the place. The Lord willing. How you doing, man? I'm doing great. The Lord is good. The Lord's good. He asked me, so I told him. Again, he wants to go there to enjoy his company, their company. Let's enjoy one another's company in Jesus, amen? I think that's a good aim, enjoying one another to help them. Earlier in the book, he says, I want to impart spiritual gifts to you, but also to be helped by them. I need your help when I come. Let's help one another and then also be humble to ask for help when we need it. We're called to that. Verse 25, he says, but now I'm going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints for it pleased those from Macedonia and Acacia to make certain contributions for the the poor among the saints who were in Jerusalem. Corinth is in Acacia. In in 1 Corinthians 16, Paul instructs them, lay aside something at the first day of the week so I can come by and collect it to take it to those in Jerusalem. He follows up in 2 Corinthians talking about this. So again, Paul's going from one place to another place to another place to share the gospel and minister to saints. He's going to all over the, the map. We might not be going to Acacia, Jerusalem, but we do go to Paso, San Luis, the coast, the store, the ball field, to work. Look at this, 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 is, this is a big part of our, of our missionary area. And we wanna be in that place as I go, let me look to minister to people. Let me look to share the Lord with people. Man, get some of those gospel tracts. The bridge to God one's phenomenal. Have a few with them, with you. Grab those just about everywhere we go. I always get opportunity to give them to people. It's amazing. It's such a simple way to share the Lord with people. So Paul says, my time's finished in Corinth, but we're gonna take this offering to those that are poor in Jerusalem. Look at the church in Jerusalem was under great persecution. There's others that suggest they were poor because of their communal living that comes forth in Acts where they sell everything and they all move in together. And some suggest they eventually ran out of money. I don't know if that's the case or not. I don't fully agree with that because if that was the case, I think they'd be getting a letter saying, go get jobs, guys. Because that's what we read 
Paul wrote to those in Thessalonica. There were some that weren't working who could work. That's a key in it. And he says, if you don't work, you don't eat. You need to go to work. Again, we're in a society where it's like, oh, everyone wants something free. That whole college debt loan thing. Joe Biden trying to compare it to Jesus Christ. Here's the difference. When Christ forgave us, he paid the penalty of our sins. He paid the bill. No one's paid that bill. And here's the thing. If you borrow, you should pay it back or don't borrow it. That's a good lesson there. And sadly, those kids are getting overcharged for brainwashing for the most part, with a few exceptions. Let's close this. I'm starting to rant here. I'll be careful. I'll start talking about us all driving golf carts in 2035. That ain't gonna happen, I guarantee it. It's a nonsense. And Diablo's supposed to close. Yeah, right. <laughs> Bad math. Verse 27. <laughs> Little chuckles here. <laughs> it pleased them indeed they are their debtors, for if the Gentiles have been partakers of spiritual things, their duty also is to minister to them material things. So those in Corinth were eager to bless those in Jerusalem. Why? Those in Jerusalem had sent out the missionaries and the pastors that took the gospel to them, that discipled them, that, that planted these churches. And they said, look at we have an obligation. They, they, they've blessed us with all this. We, have, we know the Lord because they came. What they've given to us is so much greater than our material things. They're in need. So we're obligated to minister to them and beautifully they did it joyfully. And Paul commends them even in 2 Corinthians where he says, he who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. He talks about each one given as a purpose in the heart, not grudgingly, not of necessity. God loves a cheerful giver. Oh, I got to give with a grudge. I got to give. God doesn't need your money, but you got the blessing of giving to God first of his money because it all belongs to him. 100% of it. Let's be good stewards of those things. They did it joyfully. And listen, God always supplies seed for the sower. It's, it's so true. You can't outgive God. You can't outgive the Lord. We'll close here in 28, 29. Therefore, when I have performed this, and have uh, sealed to them this fruit, I shall go by way, uh, by way of you to Spain. But I know that when I come, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. Again, a Lord willing, maybe needs to be tacked on here, but we do know this, a man's heart plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. He would end up in Rome, but he'd end up in a roundabout way. <laughs> Here's the good thing about it. He is our good shepherd. He leads us into green pastures and by still waters. That's a glorious thing. But oftentimes it comes via the valley of the shadow of death where there's some trials, some tribulations. But the Lord, the good shepherd's with you. And listen, he's leading us into good places, the ultimate place into eternity with him. And then again, Paul says, I do know when I do come, it will be with the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. The fourth time he's mentioned the gospel here. He says, I'm gonna come full. And even he, he, he came in shackles, but he came in the fullness of God, glorying in God. And you know why he came with that fullness? I think this kind of wraps us up where we are here this morning. He came with that fullness because he was willing to be emptied out. How can I abound in the fullness of God if I won't be emptied out? If I don't bring sacrifice of praise? If I don't bring, you know what? sacrifice of of offering if i don't bring you know the sacrifice of of others and ministering to others and so forth paul paul what a wonderful example of a man emptied out as john the baptist said in john three thirty, he must increase but i must decrease you want more of the lord again seek the lord and then be willing to be emptied out but the more you're emptied out for the Lord, the more you're going to be filled with the Lord. And it's a, it's a winning proposition. In fact, the Lord says, if we lay down our life for his sake, what will we? Will we be set there empty and destitute? No, he says, you will gain your life. It all takes faith though. These are steps of faith. They're steps of faith. But he wants to 
bless us and abound. Hopefully our faith's grown here this morning. Let's stand up and close in prayer. The worship of the Lord. Invite the worship team up. Oh, Heavenly Father, we do bless you. We thank you for the scriptures. Lord, indeed, it's true. There's gold in them, there are hills. So many awesome nuggets and truths here, God. And in the closing of this epistle, you know, Lord, so many exhortations and little encouragements and reminders. Lord, I pray that, Lord, these sayings that we've looked at, God, would be embedded in our heart and you grant us the grace and mercy to act on them, to dig deeper concerning them. Lord, meet each person where they are here today, each one of your saints. And again, if you're here, you don't know the Lord, man, call upon the Lord. The gospel was shared a few times in this message. The good news of what Jesus has done for you. Humble your heart. Ask him to forgive you. To be the Lord of your life. He will meet you where you are at. He takes great joy and pleasure in doing it. Lord, let us lift our voice to you now. Let us, again, give you praise. Laud you, God. Glorify you as the body of the Lord. Let's worship him here.
Amen. Well, God bless you. I pray you have a wonderful day and week in the Lord, the Lord willing. Greet one another, encourage one another. Again, God bless you.